0: First Peter chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. Let's read. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without a grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, and whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By the way, as we typically do at the end of every service, I speak a word of blessing. And this is this little passage here. As Peter ends it, he ends with that blessing to him being belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's a doxology. It's a way to sum up some of these thoughts and to declare the glory of God. That's what we do when we declare a blessing over each other. We're declaring the glory of God and saying, because God is who He is, we are blessed. And so when you encounter those little asides many times in the scriptures, you'll suddenly see in the middle of that where they'll just express that glory to God, that praise of the Lord and say, glory to the Lord Almighty forever and ever. Amen. So that's an opportunity for us also to join into that and say, yes, praise the Lord. Amen. Let it be this way. Let it so let it be. Now, here's where we left off last time in First Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. We are called to follow the example of Jesus, to live by the Spirit, even when we suffer in the body. We are called to live the rest of our earthly lives, the time that remains, for we're called to live those days for the will of God and not our evil desires. That's what we were reading and learning in the previous passage. Now here's where we're picking up in this week in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. We must be even more deliberate about living by the Spirit for the time that remains, for the rest of our days, we've got to be even more deliberate about living by the Spirit. Why? Because the end of all things is at hand. That's what Peter said more than 2,000 years ago. Guess what? We're still here and the end of all things is still at hand. We're going to get into some scriptures where Peter himself addresses this point because he says people are thinking or saying, uh, you've been saying this for a long time. Nothing's happened. The end of all things, when Jesus came into the world, he said the end is here. I mean the kingdom of God is now within you. The end is nigh. And that was 2,000 years ago. So how do how should we understand it? It is not to suggest that somehow the timing, they they were completely wrong or that, you know, we've missed it or maybe, you know, and maybe, maybe we are, you know, in that very last uh, generation. Every generation feels that they're in the last generation. Maybe the coming of the Lord is tomorrow. All that is possible, but the point that I want to make to you and the point that the scripture is trying to get across to us is to live with that sense of urgency and that sense of time to say, it's not that I can just do whatever I want and, and then assume that I have many days. Not only about the Lord's coming, but about my own days. Instead, I must live in such a way that because I cannot specify, I cannot know the precise time of Jesus' second coming, I have to live by the Spirit in such a way as if this was my last day on earth. If I am doing that, then... I don't have to do anything drastically different. And Martin Luther was asked, you know, what will you do to, today if you know you knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow? And he said, I'll go plant an apple tree. I don't know if he was on his way to plant an apple tree, but the point that he was trying to make is, I don't need to do anything different. If I was planning to do something today that was by the will of God, according to his word, in, you know, to bless others and serve others, and we're getting into that. If, I, if that's what I'm planning to do today, and I know Jesus is coming tomorrow, I don't need to do anything different today. I don't need to quit my job. I don't need to go up on a mountaintop. I don't need to, you know, I I don't need to suddenly, you know, sell all my belongings or do so, or, or rather indulge all my desires and then say, well, Jesus is coming tomorrow. I'll just do all these things." Nothing. You live your life as you would by what the Lord has led you to do today, even if the Lord is coming back tomorrow because you're living today according to how the Lord wants you to live. That's it. So we don't live in anxious thought. We don't live in some sort of, oh, what happens? Or and then, oh, what do I need to set right? Set things right, do things. Live today without any fear of tomorrow. Without any anxiety about yesterday. Live today according to what the Lord has told you. So Peter proceeds then in verses 7 through 11 to specify some ways in which we must live by the Spirit. He says we are to deliberately obey the Lord in these ways in our everyday lives so that even if the Lord were coming back tomorrow, we wouldn't be doing anything different today. That's the gist of it. Now, if you definitely, definitely knew that the Lord was coming back tomorrow, I'm sure there will be a few things you do differently today. That's fine. But what I'm trying to get across to you is that the, the way that we live our lives should be just to go on doing what the Lord has already told us to do. Now, you'll notice that this list of action items that Peter goes through here in these verses is very similar to Paul's directives for godly living that we encountered in Romans chapters 12 and 13 and in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13. He goes through very similar points. In fact, the similarities are strong enough that Paul Barnett, commentator, Bible commentator, has suggested in his commentary of his passage that Paul and Peter were each drawing from earlier writings about how congregational life in the church should look like. So probably it was written that way and they were sharing that and then Peter and Paul are both referring to that. That's possible. We've seen examples in both Paul's writings and Peter's writings where they adapted from or referred to familiar traditions and they said, because you know this here, apply this and so on. That's possible. And it's possible that there were guidelines for godly living that were beginning to circulate in the early church even before Paul and Peter wrote their Epistles. But the more important point for us to note is that about these similarities is the work of the Holy Spirit to inspire Paul and Peter and the other authors of the Bible, the books of the Bible so as to provide a consistent set of directives, a consistent set of commands for our everyday lives. It's not that Paul writes about do these things and then Peter writes about doing something completely different which would be in contrast or conflict. They say the same thing. Why? Because they're being inspired by the same Holy Spirit. That's the takeaway that I think is quite important for us to have as we look at these lists and we go through these scriptures. Now the scriptures in general, provide a number of foundational directives for godly living. We're called to love God. Matthew 22:37. We're called to love one another, Matthew 22:39. We're called to love our enemies. Matthew 5:44, we're called to preach the gospel, Mark 16:15. We're called to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28:18 through20. And we're t- called to take care of the poor and the needy in Matthew chapter 25: 31 through 40. We're called to assemble together to worship and to fellowship in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And these are the directives that shape the mission, even of our church, to love God, love people, and make disciples. But in addition to these commands, or to be more accurately stating it, in following these commands, we are called to take the specific actions that Peter is listing out here in verses 7 through 11. So let's go through these specific action items fairly quickly. The first one is... Be alert and sober-minded to pray. In the list of directives for godly living that is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in that chapter, in verse 17 there, it says, Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And there are many other scriptures that encourage us to pray, to both speak to and to listen to God by the Spirit. So based on the context of this passage and this verse, Peter is encouraging the church, collectively, the corporate body, the fellowship of the believers. He's encouraging us to pray. And how do we pray without ceasing, both individually and collectively, congregationally? Well, it is a mindset it is a way in which we would say there is value, there is worth in praying together. Why we have seasons of prayer in the church calendar, why we start the year out with fasting and prayer, why we have weekly prayer meetings, why we have monthly fasting and prayer meetings, why we take this opportunity is because there is a mindset, there is a recognition that in coming together in prayer as a corporate body, there is a power of God that is manifest. There is the wisdom of God that is revealed. There is an encouragement for one another. There is the purposes of God that are being fulfilled as we call out to God for those things. There's a breakthrough that comes as we agree together in prayer in these ways. And if you've never understood that or never participated in a a prayer of that kind, corporate prayer of that kind, I challenge you, I encourage you that this is a critical factor, this is a critical activity, an everyday activity of a child of God. That we would be people who are regularly participating in corporate prayer of this kind. That we would say, I'm going to join with my brothers and my sisters in prayer. I would do that and, and, and it becomes, so not just the mindset, but the practice, the actual activity. Now, you may do that with four people. You may do that with 40 people. You may be getting online and praying with a hundred people. I don't know. But in any case, there should be this regular activity in your life to pray with the church, to pray with your brothers and your sisters. Now, how do we pray without ceasing, both individually and collectively? What Peter says here is that we must be alert and sober-minded. To be alert and sober-minded or clear-minded is to remain focused on the Lord to discern good and evil by the spirit and to maintain that even keel or to be self-controlled we're not oh, panicking you know we're not, we're not we're not agitated we're saying oh God I come to you and I lay my concerns before you we're entirely dependent on the Lord despite the fears that we're facing and the dangers that we're facing all around us. See, fear and worry that is then stimulated or you know exasperated by our internal desires that give way to sin and external persecution that comes to us, fear and worry cause us to get into some very wrong judgments and very wrong actions. We say, Oh, what am I gonna do? Oh, this is what's going to happen. Oh, I'm afraid that this will, and, I, and we go and we say something, we do something, we take an action that ends up creating more problems than solutions. We think we're doing the right thing. We think because of that fear, oh, I better do this. And we think that that's going to be good. But instead it leads to harm. Because we haven't waited on God. We haven't listened to him. We're not trusting him. We are moving according to what this fear and this worry, this anxiety is stimulating in us. Right? Now... And and also being sober-minded in this way and to talk about these things. So we we encounter or counter fear with faith. But then as you look at this idea of being sober-minded, he speaks about it even in the previous passages that we read. We are to avoid anything that clouds the mind. So what is it that would cloud the mind? Well, alcohol and all of those things would be there. Anything that would intoxicate. But we do a lot of other things that clouds our minds. We indulge or we numb our minds. Oh, I'm too tired or I'm too anxious or I'm too worried. Let me just watch a movie. Let me, you know, I'm too this, whatever else. Let me just listen to these songs. And we numb our mind actually in terms of what is affecting us. We don't want to think about that problem that we're confronting or that is before us. And we numb our mind. So we're not being sober-minded, clear-minded. We have allowed something else to just sort of be there, to cloud our thinking, right? And I say, oh, I don't want to think about all these other things right now. Let me just, and then you fill in the blanks, right? I don't know, let me just eat something. Let me just watch something. Let me just go somewhere. Let me just, whatever it may be. But the reason we're doing it is not because we're saying, oh, the Lord is calling me to this time or to this activity so that I may press into him, so that I may pray without ceasing. We're saying, I'm going to do these things so that I don't have to think about my problem. And Peter's saying, be alert and sober-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. Prayer becomes so important. And how we come into that time of prayer becomes so important that we wouldn't do it with all of this muddled thinking, but rather we would come to the Lord and say, Lord God, you transform me by the renewing of my mind so that I can be sober, alert, clear-minded. And as we pray like this, so, so we are we're maintaining a realistic view of the world. We're depending on the Holy Spirit. We are creating opportunities for both individual and corporate times of prayer. And as we pray together like this in the church, as we, we fellowship together like this in prayer, we get to know each other's needs. You know? We get to intercede for one another. We get to care for one another. If we never prayed together, we wouldn't know. You may in passing, Hear something that's happening in somebody's life, but when we get together and share our needs, and we pray like this, and we bring up prayer requests in the in the worship service, and then we do it in our times of prayer meetings, and we you know put it on the prayer wall and the app or whatever ways we bring these requests up, we get to know what's going on in each other's lives, and we get to intercede for one another, and so the Holy Spirit then. Through that activity leads us into the second action item that Peter talks about, which is that we would love each other deeply to cover a multitude of sins. Love each other earnestly. Peter has already made the charge in chapter 1 verse 22, chapter 2 verse 17, and chapter 3 verse 8 to love our brothers and sisters in Christ earnestly from a pure heart. Here he adds an important truth. He says, love each other without grumbling. Why? Because when you go to love each other, oh, there's going to be a lot of grumbling. You're going to, like, you know, you're going to encounter all sorts of things. That are, and you're like, ah, man, that person, you know, I did all these things and look at what they did, right? Or I, you know, I, I tried to pray for them and reach out to them. Look at, oh, man. And there's going to be a lot of grumbling. So Peter knows that. The word, the, the, the word of God knows this. The Holy Spirit knows what we are prone to. And he says, love each other deeply without grumbling. Without grumbling because God's love. God's love proud in our hearts so that we freely give the love we have freely le- received. That love of God expressed through us covers over a multitude of, of sins and these multitude of sins are not just the blatant, egregious damaging sins committed against us or that we have committed against others the multitude of sins includes all the small and respectable and often excused and possibly unnoticed and self-justified and all the regular ways and all those kinds of sins and all the regular ways in which we are just uncaring and unloving to each other All those things get covered. You know, sometimes we're willing to forgive the big sin. The person was a murderer, but they have repented. They've come into the fellowship. We say, okay, we'll receive you. But a little bit of that irritation, that little grumbling, that, hmm. Oh. that, That we don't want to forgive. We don't want to overlook. We don't want to cover over. They say, oh, that person. And the Bible says that the multitude of sins, that means the breadth and the depth and the height of everything, that we would be people who would cover those over. Why? Because that's how God does it. The Lord says that when we come to him and we repent and we ask him to cleanse us, He removes our sins from us. He separates it. He throws it in the deep depths of the ocean and he covers them over with his blood so that he no longer sees the sin, he sees the blood. He no longer sees our transgression, he sees his redemption. And because of that, because he covers it over like that, because he's doing that work in us, he remembers our sins no more. How can we deal with people in this way? Why does the Bible call us to do these things? Because God does it. It's not asking us to do something that God doesn't do. It's not saying God says, I will punish you, but you cover over your brothers and sisters' sin. No, he says, I cover over your sins. I forgive the multitude of your sins. I don't remember. I don't keep track. I don't bear grudges. I don't hold and say, oh, but you did this to me, right? If that was the case, God had plenty to say from the very moment of creation onwards or soon after he would have had grudges to bear he would have said, you did this to me then, 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 and you did this to me then. I have no reason to show you mercy. But God says, I don't remember any of those things. And I show you mercy, and I show you mercy, and I show you mercy. Which brings us to our next action item. Because one of the ways in which we show our love to each other is to show hospitality to one another, to build community. Keep in mind that the early church had no church buildings. We've gotten accustomed to referring to a building as the church. We say the church, and what we mean is this physical location. Many times we think of it like that. But early Christians met in each other's homes, or possibly in a temporary gathering place, and the church, the body of Christ, the fellowship of the believers, was the people, not the building. And so showing hospitality in our context, in our generation, it includes inviting people to join in the corporate time of worship and in doing these things. And of course, there's just great joy and great life. And we experience that and we want others to come in and be part of that and to establish, I mean, to experience the joy for themselves and the, and the presence of the Lord and all of that. But showing hospitality in our context also has to be deliberate acts where we bring people into our lives. Maybe it is to receive them into our homes, maybe not it may not be possible feasible to just you know have a lot of people over at your home that's fine it's not the that's not the the point the point is that we would it, we would seek out we would strive to establish deep relationships personal relationships with people that we would show hospitality that we would receive them and be deliberate about it and say i'm going to be intentional through the rest of this well, we've got just a few more days in this month, but through the rest of this month, through the rest of this year, through uh, how do I fill my calendar? How should I do things that would allow me to be hospitable to others, to receive them with joy, to show them the love of God, and to be kind to them, you know, and to be merciful in a way that the Lord has shown His mercy and kindness to me. Now, let me move very quickly to this last, um, this next action item because the next action item to use our spiritual gifts to serve others is one we've considered in some detail as we studied first corinthians chapters 12 and 14 and we went through the whole list of the spiritual gifts which you know from first Corinthians chapter 12 verse 28 about apostles prophets teachers miracles kinds of healing helps administration tongues in first Corinthians chapter 12 verses 8 through 10 we learned about word of wisdom word of knowledge faith uh, distinguishing between spirits interpretation of tongues in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 in addition to apostles and prophets we learned about evangelists and pastors and teachers pastor teacher as a joint thing in romans chapter 12 verses 6 through 8 we learned about serving and encouraging and giving and leadership and mercy and in first corinthians chapter 7 verse 7 we learned about marriage and celibacy so we've gone through these lists of items and then there are some other spiritual gifts we talked about at that time that are not just listed in these scriptures directly but are evident from the whole breadth of the word of god so as we studied spiritual gifts we referred at that time to this verse here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, because it says, it, it's like a catch-all phrase, right? It just says, as you speak, as you speak this word of God, or as you serve by the strength of God. So it's just, when you use your gifts to speak the word of God, and you use your gifts to serve by the strength of God. It's, it's a catch-all phrase. It's, it's encompassing all these kinds of gifts. The spoken expression of the gifts that would be like profess, prophecy or tongues or you know all of those kinds of things. And the serving gifts which may be administration or hospitality and all of those kinds of things where you're not speaking explicitly but your actions are speaking as loud as your words. So this is the nature of the spiritual gifts. We talked about this in in some detail at that time. And I encourage you to go back and listen to those messages or to ask questions about it and so on. But the gifts of God are given by God, not, not grabbed by us. We, we don't go up and say, I'll take this and I'll take that and I want this. That's not the way that the gifts work. They are given by God with the responsibility of stewardship. That's how what Peter says in this verse here. He speaks about us being stewards, managers, the caretakers of what God has given into our hand. We don't take it and say, thank you, God, and then go do something else. We take it and we say, oh, this is a very awesome responsibility. This is a very sacred trust that the Lord has given. I will take these gifts and I will use them for his glory. And I will see that I'm serving the church. And so the use the spiritual gifts, even as we talked about at that time, and even as I'm reminding you this morning, were not meant for personal gain they were meant for the common good spiritual gifts were to serve others was to be able to say to to the church as a whole and to the world as a whole here's what the lord can do for you so even as we pray and we engage and we show love and hospitality and then we exercise spiritual gifts this is all for the purpose of building up the church and for blessing the world That's our purpose. So that brings us to this point of application that we want to respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by speaking God's word and serving by God's strength to glorify him. That's the purpose that we want to live for. You see, speaking and serving gifts are gifts for everyone. In this... You know, praying for one another, loving each other enough to cover over sin, showing hospitality, using these gifts. All, they, these, are not, these are not restricted to just a few, and they're not restricted at any, in any way by time or context or anything. This is for the, every believer in Christ, every member of the body of Christ to receive and to exercise. They didn't cease; the gifts didn't cease. These are ways in which we have the opportunity to serve the Lord. Now in this next section, next next section that we go into in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4, we're going to consider the qualifications for elders, for ministers of the gospel, for shepherds or pastors. But as I've said before, the responsibility that the Lord gives us to be stewards of his gifts is not restricted to just those who are ordained or serving in some official capacity. There is no clergy and laity distinction or separation in that regard. All believers, every believer, every child of God has this responsibility to serve the Lord as he would lead us. So every believer is called to minister and to speak God's word, to serve by God's strength. Every believer is meant to minister in the body of Christ. If we formalize Christian ministry and Christian leadership, then we will separate it from the regular exercise of spiritual gifts by all believers. We'll say, oh, that person can do it. But we won't say, we can do it. And the, the importance of the body of Christ and the call, the challenge to the body of Christ is that we would be collectively stepping into these responsibilities and saying, So when we invite people, when we pray for people, even this morning when we just prayed for those that are in the congregation, when we do that, we're not saying, well, uh, you know, somebody else may be better qualified to do this, but okay, I'll do it. No, no, we're saying, yeah, 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 we are right in this. We are praying. We are praying people. We are waiting on the Lord. We are led of the Spirit. Let's go after this as a church collectively, and the Lord will do this in our midst. That's the responsibility that we have. So this morning, the challenge that I want to lay before you is that we don't take these statements that Peter is making or that the Word of God is making and saying, ah, it's a good list. I'll do it if I can. I'll try to do it. I'll see if maybe I can get, you know, passing grade, you know, 70% on these calls to action. Maybe, Maybe these action items... You know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do the best that I can and maybe it'll be okay. No, what we instead need to say is, if the end of days is at hand, if we're truly living in a time when we have to be prepared for the Lord to return, should we leave these things to somebody else or should we be doing it ourselves? Do we say, oh, let's pray for more laborers in the harvest field, ordained ministers who have gone to seminary. By the way, it is more of a, uh, you know, it, it is strange in many ways that we have said academic preparation is the qualification for ministry. No, you know what the Bible says? Serving this way and obeying the Lord and exercising the spiritual gifts is the qualification for ministry. Those that were doing those things were set apart and ordained or prayed over and said, okay, you are now, you know, uh, mobilized to be an apostle or an evangelist or a prophet or whatever it may be. But they were already serving. So we need to think of ourselves in that way. We need to pray for the church in that way. And think about this. If every church and the body of Christ universally was living like that, would it make a difference? We wouldn't have the celebrity pastors. We would have the celebrity churches right? Because we would be saying, look at what this church is doing. Wow. I, I want to be, I, I be a part of a body of people who live like this, who are conscious of the last days, who are not anxious about it, but who live in such a way that every day is meaningful. Every day is significant. Every day is an opportunity to glorify God. Every day is an opportunity to exercise these gifts and to do these things in such a way that the name of the Lord is lifted up. Oh, that's a joy. That's a privilege. Don't you want to be part of a church like that? I do. Let's pray that that would be our reality. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word gives us such clear instruction. And Lord... It's not for a lack of commands, directives, instruction. It's just, Lord, that we are so poor at obeying your word. And I pray, Father, that you would make that change, that you would transform us, that you would renew our minds, that you would cause us, Lord, to commit everything to believing these words to exercising, to applying, to obeying your commands. Let us be people, Lord, who love one another to cover over a multitude of sins. Let us be people who share hospitality, who show hospitality, who love each other in so many different ways that we would just continue, we would look for opportunities to pray for one another, to pray without ceasing, to Lord, to just keep coming to you for breakthroughs and that Lord, we will, we will be eager to receive spiritual gifts from you and then to be good stewards of those gifts and exercise the gifts for the building up of the church thank you Lord oh Lord we pray for that for our church we pray for that for every church in this neighborhood we pray for that for every church in this city and this state and this nation across the world so that the church would truly shine in these ways come Lord Jesus do your work we ask it in Jesus name Amen.